Well, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor here at Hope City Church, and we really are uh, just pumped that you're here with us. Thank you so much for, uh, for being here. In 1726, at the age of 20, Benjamin Franklin constructed his list of 13 virtues. You learn about this in school? You heard about this? Benjamin Franklin's 13 virtues. His goal was to create a system. All the system people in the room can relate to this. His goal was to create a system to develop his character. That's what he wanted to try to accomplish. So what he did is he carried a journal with him, and uh, everywhere he went, he carried this journal, and he drew a column down the page, and each virtue had its own page. And what he would do is he would mark a tab for what he called his, uh, his defects. Anybody in the room? Well, never mind. I'm not going to ask. Do you, do Franklin had 13 virtues. I was wondering if you knew what they were, but uh, probably not. Maybe you do. I don't know. In fact, Franklin had 13 virtues. It was temperance, silence, order, resolution, frugality, industry, sincerity, justice, moderation, cleanliness, tranquility, chastity, and humility. And each week, Franklin would choose a different uh, virtue, and his focus would, would be that virtue for that, that week, and he would note every mistake. He would keep a tab for every mistake or every what he called defect, and he would start over every 13 weeks so that he could cycle through his uh, virtues four times a year, four times a year. Now, uh, for many years, Franklin carried um, the book with him, and, and his goal was to have a clean 13-week cycle. That's what he wanted to accomplish. He wanted to go 13 weeks without any, what he would claim, were, were defects. But as he made progress uh, in his character systematically, he found himself struggling with another defect that was not a part of his virtues, and he wrote about it in, in one of his books, and I wanna just read it to you the way that he wrote it. This is what he said. He said, there is perhaps no natural passion so hard to subdue as pride. Disguise it, struggle with it, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases, it's still alive and will every now and then peep out and show itself. And even if I could conceive that I had completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. I love that. We're in the third week of a, of a series called I Don't Wanna Be That Person Anymore. I don't wanna be that person anymore. And this series is all about how we can be the new person that Christ created us to be. That when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are becoming and become a new person. And we wanna be that person. And it's about a series about how we can not be our, our old self, that old person that we don't wanna be anymore. And we get this whole idea from a verse uh, in the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. We've read it every week because it's the, it's the foundation for uh, this whole series, and, and it reads like this. It just says that this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. And we've said each week in this series that once you start following Jesus, not once you start attending church, not once you decide to give to a charity, uh, not once you decide you wanna be a good person, but once you decide to put your faith in Jesus Christ, you become a new person. 
but I've got four kids at home and I have been in the room each time a new person has entered into our family. And here's what I've learned about the beginning stages of new people. They take a lot of work. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And uh, they can't do a lot for themselves, but it is a process and they eventually uh, become that person. And so it can be frustrating because we wanna be this new person that we know we can be. We wanna be this new person that we know that God wants us to be. That's what we want with our life, but that old person still feels so real, right? That old person is like, it's like a third wheel just hanging out with us and we can't get rid of it. And for some of us, we're frustrated because we feel like it's not working. It's not working, Jason. I mean, I hear stories like Joe's story and these stories you're showing and it just doesn't feel like it's working for me. But what we said each week in this series is that we wanna give God as much time to fix our life as we give the devil time to screw it up. So let's don't give the devil 25 years, give God 25 days and then say, see, it didn't work. We wanna, we wanna give God that time because it is happening and it is, it is a process. And last week was, was a great week be, because we talked about the difference between condemnation and conviction. And what we said was that the devil's voice, which is very real, we hear it, we feel it, we know it, but that the devil's voice guilts us, doesn't it? That when we're trying to be that new person and we can't seem to get it together, the devil's voice shows up in our life and it just starts guilting us. You're a failure, you'll never get it together. God's disappointed in you, you're not really a Christian. You're a hypocrite. If your friends really knew who you were, I mean, just constant guilt. So the devil's voice guilts us, but what we said is that God's voice, what? It guides us. So both voices are in our heads, they're in our hearts, we feel them. But that one voice is a guilting voice and the other voice is, is a guiding voice. And, and so this week, what we're gonna do is continue the conversation. We've, we've talked about the difference between regret and repentance. We've talked about the difference between condemnation and conviction. And this week, we're gonna continue the conversation and we're gonna talk about the difference between religion and relationship. The difference between religion and relationship. Now, you've probably never carried a journal and kept a list of all of your wrongs like Benjamin Franklin. Maybe you have, I don't know, but probably not. But I know that you do keep score. You do keep score. You may not have a list that you have on you right now, but you do keep score, and all of us keep score. And you either feel like a winner or you feel like a loser depending on how many good things you've done compared to how many bad. It's this tally system that we are convinced that God is keeping. And since God is keeping it, we're keeping it on ourselves. And that at its core is religion. We're gonna talk about a lot about what religion is today. We're gonna talk about the differences between religion and relationship. But what you have to know, like at its core, is that religion is a scorekeeping system the scorekeeping system that all of us have that we have either picked up, learned from other people, or were taught by somebody else. It is a, it's a scorekeeping system. And, and this week on, on Facebook, I, I asked this question on Friday. I actually posted it up, and I said, when I say the word religion, what is the first thought, the first idea that comes to, to your mind? And over 100 of you commented, and gave me, gave me your feedback. What, what do you think of when I say the word religion? What's the first thought that comes to your mind? What's the, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? And actually, I asked my wife, Andrea, this question uh, earlier in the week before I posted it on Facebook, and my amazing, godly, super spiritual wife 
said, I think of REM. I think of REM. Uh, anybody, Losing My Religion. Anybody a fan? Come on, remember that song, Losing My Religion? That's, that's what my amazing spiritual wife thought of over there. Uh, but let me give you some of the answers that I, I received. Um, a few people said that when someone says the word religion, the first thing that they think of is hell or an angry preacher. It's the first thing, maybe you can relate to that. Some people um, said that it made them think of a Christian school or a Bible class that they had to attend uh, growing up that maybe their parents made them go to. Um, a lot of people said that it made them think of rituals, that religion is really just a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of rituals. Now, just to be clear, the word religion is not actually a bad word. Like literally the definition of religion is a belief in or a worship of uh, supernatural powers or God. Like that's the dictionary definition. So literally for someone to say religion, like Christianity is a religion, like just the word in general religion is not uh, a bad, it's not a bad word, but it has taken on so many other meanings for, for all of us that that it feels like it feels like a bad word. And by far, the most popular answer that I got back on Facebook when I asked the question, when I say the word religion, what do you think of? By far, the most popular answer that I got is that it makes people think of rules. Anybody would just relate to that? You'd say, yeah, when I hear the word religion, I, it makes me kind of think of, makes me kind of think of, uh, of rules. For most of us in the room, when we hear the word religion, we think of a rule book. And everyone in the room has a rule book. Maybe your rule book was given to you by your parents. Maybe it was given to you by a Bible teacher or a priest. Maybe it was given to you uh, by someone that you respected, uh, a basketball coach or, or something like, but, but you have a rule book. I have a rule book, you have a rule book. And God actually did give us a book. I would not call it a rule book, But the amazing thing about the rule book that you have and the rule book that I have is that so much of what is listed in that rule book is not listed in this rule book. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? And and so all of us have this rule book and we're introduced to it at a very young age. For most of us, we're introduced to religion and the rule book actually before we're introduced to Jesus. That, that if we have any type of religious affiliated parents at all, most of us are introduced to the rule book of religion before we're introduced to Jesus. And so when we do something we're not supposed to do, whether our parents meant to say it or not, they say something like, God wouldn't want you to do that, or uh, we don't do that because we are Christians, or some type of explanation explaining that that was wrong because it broke a rule. And that's what we were, that's what we were introduced to, okay? And And there are these things that God wants us to do and these things that God doesn't want us to do and we're all keeping score. And here's what's crazy about religion is you're not just keeping score for you, right? Keeping score for everybody else because that's what religion does. You're keeping score for you, but you're really keeping score for everybody else. And do you know why you keep score for everybody else? Because you wanna win. And so you're gonna keep the score and you're gonna make sure that your score is higher than everybody else's score. Now, right up front, you just need to know for the next 18 minutes and 31 seconds or so that I'm gonna be preaching, I'm probably going to get a little feisty today, okay? Because I hate religion. I hate it. Now, the biggest reason that I hate it is because it's in me. 
I don't hate it because of those religious people. No, I hate it because I'm a member of the club. And every morning when I wake up and I look in the mirror, I see it and I hate it and it's disgusting. And I want so desperately to know Jesus like a father and a son with no baggage or a relationship. But I have this religious junk in my life just like you do. But the second biggest reason that I can't stand religion is because it forces us all to be hypocrites, doesn't it? Religion forces you to be a hypocrite. You have to change the rules for you and not for other people because if you don't change the rules, you lose and nobody wants to lose. So you adapt your rule book so that you are not necessarily a major rule breaker. You're a, you're a minor rule breaker according to your rule book, but according to your rule book, everybody else is a major rule breaker. That's the way that it works. We change the rules so that I win and you lose. And I would love it if everybody could win, but we all know that God has favorites and I'd like to be one of those. And so I've got to change the rule. So for a religious person, everything that you struggle with is on the list, or everything you struggle with is not on the list, but everything that, that, that they struggle with um, is on the list, right? If you struggle with it, somehow it was left off. Let me give you just a couple of examples. No offense to anybody that this touches, but here we go. Um, gluttonous, obese preachers preach against being drunk. Change the rules, right? Men addicted to pornography condemn women who wear yoga pants. Got, you gotta figure out how to change the rules. Women who are the nastiest, mean, gossiping people you've ever met in your life judge people who cuss. Right? Changing the rules. Men who think rich people are greedy lie on their taxes. Changing the rules. So all of us have this, this rule book. Now listen, please hear me that just because the person doing the judging is a hypocrite doesn't make what we're doing right, but that's not the point of the message today. We'll deal with that at another time, okay? We all spend so much time worrying about good and bad and right and wrong, and we're desperately hoping to make God proud of us. And we've forgotten that what God wants is a relationship. What God wants with you is a relationship. He does not wanna give you a rule book. He wants to have a relationship with you. And some of you in the room today, like I get it, you're not sure you wanna have anything to do with Jesus because you tried that before and, and, and religion put a bad taste in your mouth. Well, Jesus would agree with you. Religious people killed Jesus. He's got a bad taste in his mouth too. And, and so if you're here today and you're like, man, I don't know if I can know Jesus because I don't like religion, you're actually a lot like Jesus because Jesus didn't like religion either. So you're actually being pretty, pretty Christ-like. I would say that he would, uh, he would agree with you. But in order for us to become a new person, that person, that, that new creation, that new creature that God created us to be, you have to have a relationship with Jesus. You become new the closer that you get to Jesus through relationship. But religion will keep you from a relationship. Religion will keep you from a relationship. I read a story in a, in a business book the other day. It was pretty fascinating about 
uh, India, the country of India during the 1800s, uh, the British government uh, ruled over India and there was a problem with the amount of cobra snakes in the city of Delhi. And so they felt like something needed, needed to happen. So they created this bounty program that if you turned in to the government a dead snake, then they would pay you a bounty. And so when they started this program, everything was going pretty well. The The snake population was going down, but everything was not as it seemed because shrewd businessmen recognized an opportunity that if I can turn in a dead snake, I get money. So what entrepreneurs begin to do is create snake farms, cobra farms. So they would create these farms and and birth these snakes and kill them and turn them in to get money. And when the government realized that this was happening, they ended the bounty program. Well, when they ended the bounty program, the cobra farmers let all the snakes go because there was no reason to kill the snakes. So when it was all said and done, the bounty program created more cobras in the country of India than it did take them away. And I loved what the author said in the book. He said, what the city of Delhi failed to realize is that they didn't actually want more dead cobras. What they wanted was fewer live ones. They had rewarded the wrong thing simply because it was easier to measure. They had rewarded the wrong thing simply because it was easier to measure. And I love that last sentence, and I think it's the, it's the perfect explanation of religion. But the reason all of us struggle with religion is because it's so much easier to, to make up things that we can measure to grade an abstract relationship with an invisible God. So if we could create some things that are just easier to count and measure, we'll know who's winning and who's losing. But to somehow figure out an abstract relationship with an invisible God is too difficult. So let's create a rule book. That is religion. A few months ago, um, I decided to take my two oldest girls to one of the indoor trampoline parks. And we normally drive out to House of Boom, but for whatever reason, we didn't do that this time. And, and so we went up here to the Altitude Park up here on Dixie Highway and uh, walked in and took the girls in. They were looking forward to it. And we walked in and um, get up to the counter. And, and I said, you know, we've got, we got two, uh, two kids. And they gave me the price. And um, so we we're getting ready to pay. And she said, will you need Altitude socks? I said, no, we don't need Altitude socks. We're fine. She said, no, do you have altitude socks? I said, no, we don't. She said, well, you gotta have altitude socks. I said, well, we've got socks. She said, no, they have to be altitude socks. I said, great, give us some of those. She said, well, they're $3 a piece. I'm like, okay. I don't mind a business move, an upsell. That's okay, kudos to you. That's nice, whatever. We'll take it, okay? So I'm a little frustrated about it, but that's fine. So we get the socks and I'm just excited because my girls are gonna get to have a great time and you know, whatever, And so we get over, we take our shoes off, we put on our altitude socks, and we're getting ready to walk up the stairs into the playing area when I see a sign. I actually took a picture. Throw that picture up for me. This is the sign that I see. Altitude safety socks required. Now, I was not upset until I saw the sign. Because they were treating me like I was an idiot, okay? I brought a pair of altitude socks with me today. We all know, Mr. Altitude, that it ain't got nothing to do with safety. Here they are right here. 
Do these look any more safe to you than any other socks that you have at your house? No, they do not. They're socks, except they cost $3 a pair, which is probably a little more expensive than what you normally pay for socks. No offense to altitude, but I'm standing there, and here's what I'm feeling at the moment. I'm feeling a little bit of frustration because I feel like they just can't be honest with me. I would have appreciated a sign that said, uh, upcharge $3 socks must be worn because you don't want to be a terrible parent and your kids will hate you if you don't pay it. That's the sign I could have respected. Thank you for being honest with me. High five, you got me, it's good. But don't say it's for the safety of the children. It ain't got nothing, look at these things. They got nothing to do with safety, right? Nothing to do with safety. So I'm a little frustrated and being a pastor that I am, I thought, you know what? This is a great sermon illustration because this is exactly what religion is. Religion makes up rules, disguises them in noble reasons, and forces you to follow them if you want to get in. That is religion. Made up rules, disguised as noble reasons, that forces you to get in. If you work at altitude, I apologize. But that's what we do. We find a reason that is closely associated with a reason that nobody would ever really want to disagree with. And we say it's for the safety of the children. No, it's not. It's for three extra dollars. It's not about the safety. But I'll do it because I want my kids to be able to get in. So we make up rules. It's just easier that way. You make up rules with vague connections to a Bible verse I mean, that's the worst part is somebody's giving you a rule to add to your rule book and you think it's ridiculous, but then they quote a Bible verse. And you're like, I don't even know if that's what that means. And they go, oh, trust me, that's what it means. And so we just, we're trying to count because we need to measure. We always got to measure. And so we, we make up rules. I wrote down a couple. Um, it's easier if we just decide that you can't wear hats to church, unless it's a youth service. You can wear a hat to a youth service, but you cannot wear a hat to an adult service, okay? Uh, God cares what you wear. Um, it's easier to say Christians can't watch rated R movies, but they can watch PG-13 movies, but they can't watch rated R, right? That's, that's a rule, uh, but you know, yeah. Uh, Christians can't say certain cuss words, but we can say shoot, darn it, crap, dang, Sucks. We can say these words because those are the okay. Maybe not on your rule book, but on my rule book, those words are okay. But there are other words that all of us are like, no, those words are not okay. All made up words. God never said, can't say that word, can't say that word. But we said, we're measuring. Those are a no, those are a go. Right? So, yeah. My dad on the phone the other day said, crap. I'm like, oh my gosh, what just happened? Uh, it's a new day. Um, we could keep going because the list of rules that don't make any sense go on and on and on. And some of you in here, like I totally understand, you've had a bad taste with religion because you were explained these rules and they did not make any sense to you. But God's plan was never to give you a list of rules. His plan has always been for you to fall in love with him. That's always been the plan. He wants you to fall in love with him. And you cannot use religion to cause people to fall in love with Jesus. 
It would be like me wanting my wife to love me, but her constantly feeling like I'm mad at her and disappointed in her. Because that's what religion does. Religion either makes, causes you to be incredibly prideful or incredibly demoralized because you think you're awesome and better than everybody else or you think you're a terrible person and God's mad at you. There's never any winners when it comes to religion. So God wants a relationship. And, and he wants us to be the person He's created us to be, but he never wants us to behave out of obligation. He wants us to behave out of relationship. And I wanna read you a couple of verses of scripture from Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five, just some really beautiful um, verses. And, and starting with verse six and, and going to verse 11 but just some really beautiful verses, and they'll be up on the screen. If you wanna follow along there, you can. But this is what Paul wrote about Jesus. Paul said that when we, he's talking about us, verse six, he said, when we were utterly helpless. Now, we just have to stop for a second because the rest of what he's gonna say will not work if you don't agree with the first statement, that you are utterly helpless. We talked about it last week, but Jesus came and died because there is nothing that we can do in order to ever be right with God. You can't do enough good things. You are helpless. You cannot fix your own situation. Only Jesus can. And so if you're here today and you're like, that's not true. I'm not, I can, I can, I'm, I can get it together. I'm not helpless. I'll, I'll, I'll get it together. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily like, I, I can do it. Or maybe you're here and you're like, I'm not helpless at all. I know some helpless people you're talking about, but that's not me because I'm not helpless. I'm actually pretty awesome. You're not gonna appreciate the rest of these verses if you can't agree with that statement that I'm the worst sinner that I know. And I'm capable of more terrible, disgusting, awful things than anybody that I know or anything I've ever seen them do. I'm capable of that and so much more if sin ever gets a hold of my life and takes control. And so Paul says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and he died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. And maybe as I read that, some of you in the room are like, I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm especially good. I mean, I would never say that out loud, but I mean, I'm looking around the room and I'm definitely better than these people. Paul's, Paul's gonna make a point here. He says, uh, somebody especially good, verse eight, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. That would be a phenomenal statement in and of itself. But he keeps going and he says, while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. Verse nine, he says, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, not by any good thing we've done, not by accumulating like that time that we helped those homeless people. No, we've been made right with God, in God's sight by the blood of Christ. He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. 
God is never condemning you. He has no wrath left for you. Your car does not break down because you said a cuss word. You don't get cancer because you were a bad person in college. There is no wrath for you. God gave it all to Jesus on your behalf if you want to accept that. And so he says, you're not condemned. For since our friendship, everybody say friendship. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Last verse. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Has anyone ever explained it to you like that? I just wanna make sure you know what we just read is true. That now you can rejoice in your wonderful new relationship with God because Jesus Christ has made you a friend of God. That God is not up in heaven saying, I really hope Joe will hurry up and be that new person because this is getting frustrating. That he's not getting it together. That he's not up in heaven saying, I can't believe Andrea wore yoga pants today. He's not up in heaven saying, man, they said they were never gonna smoke any more cigarettes, but I saw them out there smoking. That God's not up there in heaven keeping a tabulation of the things that you do wrong and the things that you do right and grading you and scoring you and stacking you up and grading on a curve and lining you up in the order of your performance based on you know, how you'll get into heaven. Paul says that he made us right with Jesus if we want that so that we could have a relationship and a friendship, and a friendship. Has anybody in the room ever tried to be friends with somebody that you felt like was always better than you or putting you down or grading you or judging you? Maybe you've been a boyfriend, you've had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you've been in a relationship where you're like, they say we're friends, but I constantly feel like they're always mad at me. I constantly feel like they're always grading me. I constantly feel like they're always better than me. Some of you in the room are trying to have a friendship with Jesus, but that's, you think that's how he feels about you. So of course you can't become this new person that Christ wants you to be. You feel so condemned. You feel so judged. You feel like God is, is so mad at you. But that's not what Paul said. He said that we can rejoice in our new relationship with God, not our new rule book. He didn't give you a new rule book. No, he says we get to rejoice, a joy, a, a zeal, a, a relief, a, a passion, because we have a new relationship with Jesus. And that if we could ever tap into a relationship with Jesus, we'd realize that he has made us friends with God. I've thought all week, like I have struggled all week, like how do you convince somebody who is sure that there's a rule book that they're actually friends with Jesus? Because it's me, I'm in the club, so I'm not pointing fingers, but if you've ever dealt with a really religious person, it's that they can't even see that they're being religious. We struggle with that. I'll convince some of you, and then by six o'clock tonight, you'll be like, oh God, I'm so sorry, I can't believe I did that. Because you live in fear of the judgment and the wrath and the condemnation of God. But it's gone. So here, here's the best way that I thought I could convey this to you. I wanna ask you a question. 
If I were to ask you, out of all your worst habits, if I were to ask you, like, out of all of your worst habits, mistakes, flaws, your recurring problems, what is most likely to keep you out of heaven? Like, when it's all said and done, if you don't make it, and you had to bet right now, you had to pick right now, What's the thing that's gonna keep you from making it? What's the thing that's gonna beat you, conquer you? Like, you're not gonna be able to finally figure it out. Like, of all your flaws, of all your recurring mistakes, if you had to pick, what would be the thing that would keep you out of heaven? And I'm not gonna ask you to tell me what it is, but you're thinking about it right now. Some of you in the room are like, oh, it'll be my, it'll be my drug habit. Some of you right now, be, it's like, it's that lust. It's, it's, the, it's the visuals that I can't stop looking at or seeing, or it's the fact that I can't stay faithful, or it's the fact that I, like, I can't stop lying. Like, whatever it is that you're thinking right now, like, that's what may take me under. Like, like that's, that's it. So whatever it is that you're thinking of right now in your mind, if I was to say, if you had to pick what's the thing that would keep you out of heaven, if you and I were sitting across the table having coffee, the moment you opened your mouth and you said, my drug habit, you know what I would say to you? I'd say, no. No, that's not what's gonna keep you out of heaven. And that's not what's gonna keep you out of a relationship with Jesus. If you said, well, it's the fact that I can't stop lying, I'd say, no, that's not it. That's not, that's not what's gonna keep you out of heaven or keep you from a relationship with Jesus. You would list the next thing and somebody else would list the next thing and I'd say, no, nope, that's not true. You say, Jason, how could that not be true? Because your failures do not keep you from a relationship with Jesus. Please hear me, your failures do not keep you from a relationship with Jesus. If you have accepted Jesus Christ into your life, and that old person is still dragging you down and you leave this church service today and you go do something awful that you swear you would never do again, you can still have a relationship with Jesus if you want it because he doesn't cut it off because you just sinned. Because Paul tells us that when we were utterly helpless, that Christ came and he showed his great love by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You know what that means? Romans 5 literally means that when Jesus Christ died for you, he died for the very worst version of you. That at the moment, whether you've already done it in the past or you'll do it in the future, at the moment when you did the most unthinkable, never thought I would be here, never thought I would do that, never thought I would say that, it can be no lower. There is no farther down rock bottom. That is the worst I've ever been. Jesus says, that's the person that I died for. I didn't die for the person who fixes their hair for church on Sunday. I died for the person who feels like they are unlovable. Can't be any worse. Romans 5 said Jesus showed his great love because he died for us at that moment, that person. And the reason that he did it is so he could have a relationship with you so we could be friends with you. Jesus died for you before you had anything you could offer him to be good. He did not save you because you were able to put together enough good things and he does not unsave you because you can't get together enough good things. And I know some of us in the room who are so religious right now, like it's in us and we're saying, but wait a second, what about, are you saying I can, 
We'll get to that next week. But that's not most of our problems. I would be willing to bet that for those of us in the room today, pride is not our problem. Condemnation is our problem. We just can't believe that Jesus Christ would ever die for the worst version of us. So he says, and I just can't be that new person that I'm supposed to be. And I know God's got to be disappointed and mad because I'm disappointed and mad. And Paul says that when you were helpless, like a drowning man going under with no rescue, like snorting up that drug, like putting that needle in your arm, like that moment of unfaithfulness, like that thousandth time of looking at that video, like whatever it is, at that lowest moment, Jesus Christ said, I want a relationship with that person. So I'm gonna go die so we can be friends because I want us to be friends. Religion is being good so God will love you. Relationship is acting like someone who know God, knows God loves you. Religion is being good so that God will love you. Relationship is acting like someone who knows God loves you. And he's never gonna stop loving you. Like ever. Ever. He's never gonna stop. And so you get to rest in that. Like right now in this moment, like just breathe that in for a second and recognize God is never going to Stop loving me. God is never going to condemn me. God is never going to be mad at me. He's not disappointed in me. Even as we say that right now, we feel this war going on inside of us like, yeah, 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 I know that's true, but, but, no, no buts. God is never going to stop loving you. And if you would ever really believe that, like no matter what, it would change the way you act. Those things that you were never able to fix would be fixed because you'd stop doing it so God will love you and you start acting like somebody who knows God loves them. He wants a relationship. He wants a friendship. Let's pray.